Good evening. My name is Dave Frankowski, and I'll be your moderator for today's class. And welcome to another lecture given by the Oceanside California class. This is a school and not a church, and neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh our Elohim and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given unto our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley in the state of Ohio in the year of 1931. We were incorporated in the state of California in the year of 1958. And we hold classes in the United States and in various other countries. The Oceanside class was established in 1994. At this time, I'd like to introduce to you the Dean of the Oceanside class, Dr. Dennis Volpe, and the president, Dr. Carl Emler. Now in this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title for the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which were contained in the original Hebrew text. The correct name of our Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The correct title of the Word or Son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. And the correct name of the Holy Spirit manifest in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Now, Lord and God are titles, and they are not names. And the Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and there are God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike the titles of Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. It's a divine title because it's the title that our creator has chosen for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name and a minor investigation on your part into a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew, the Greek, nor the Latin languages have any letters or characters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that is made by the letter J. Neither was there a letter J in our own English language until some 1400 years after the death of the Messiah, which would make such names as Jesus and Jehovah impossible renderings for the true name of our Father and His Son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Now Yahweh is pure spirit, and in this state He is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, the limits and the bounds of everything that exists. We have Yahweh on this chart presented as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. 
and we've drawn this cloud to extend all around the edges of the chart to show that everything on the chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Now Yahweh knowing that man could not perceive of him in this pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Yahweh Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being, that is, having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. And this form could only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, the self-same spirit manifests himself in a physical body, and he walked the earth plane as Yahshua the Messiah, who the whole world calls Jesus Christ. Now there's only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So a simple yet intelligent question that we should ask ourselves is, what did they call this man when he walked the earth plane? And a further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface to the Holy Name Bible. Also in this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It's the divine pattern because it's Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he called Moses on top of Mount Sinai, and he showed him this threefold tabernacle pattern in a vision. Later on, Yahweh instructed Moses to build one in the wilderness, just like the one he had seen in his vision on the mount. And the tabernacle pattern is a threefold pattern consisting of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court round about. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and it operates according to the structure and the function of this threefold tabernacle pattern, and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. The 10 primary constitutional objectives or aims of the Institute are as follows. One, to help you find and know Yahweh our Elohim as he really is and actually exists. Two, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah without distinction of race, nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Three, to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Four, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, modern practical and occult science. Five, to extirpate current superstition, skepticism and ignorance. Six, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seven, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons, operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eight, to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Nine, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained 
There is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua the Messiah. And 10, to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace and our slogan is speak the truth. We'll begin this evening with a prayer by Dr. Bruce Geller from our Oceanside class. And we'll have a scripture read, which will be 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. And that'll be read by Dr. Jerry Geller from our Oceanside class. Thank you, Dave. Good and evening to everyone. May we all bow our hearts and minds in a moment of prayer. Father Yahweh, we are so appreciative for another opportunity for the brethren to come together in the spirit of Yahshua the Messiah in love. We are so appreciative of the fact that you have given us this great knowledge and understanding. And we ask that you continue to strengthen us, that you continue to magnify your presence in us. We just have it in our hearts, Yahweh, that we're so joyous and grateful for this wonderful gospel that you have given us, not because we deserved it, not because we've done anything to earn it, but because of your mercy. You said that you would have mercy on whom you would have mercy and whom you hardeneth, you harden, and you have proven that. We just are so grateful that we can't, can't show it enough. And just ask that you continue to show us those things that you need us to, to understand before the end of this age. And thank you, Yeshua. Thank you so much for everything you've done for us. Our souls are in your keeping. We want to thank you. In the name of our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah, let us all say, Hallelujah. 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 Good evening, class. Tonight I'll be reading 1 Peter, the fourth chapter from the Holy Name Bible. For as much then as a Messiah hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of Yahweh. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the heathens when we walked in licentiousness, lust, excess of wine, reveling, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Where they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So give account to him that is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged in flesh according to men, in spirit according to Yahweh. But the end of all things is at hand. 
Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent love amongst yourself, for love shall cover a multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of Yahweh. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of Yahweh. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which Yahweh giveth, that Yahweh in all things may be glorified through Yahshua Messiah, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Beloved, think not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, hoping though some strange thing happened to you. No, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of the Messiah's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of the Messiah, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory Yahweh resteth upon you. On their part he is even broken up, but on your part he is glorified. But let it be, none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. If any man suffer as a believer, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify Yahweh on this behalf. For the time has come, the judgment must begin at the house of Yahweh. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end? What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of Yahweh? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the wicked and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of Yahweh commit the keeping of their soul to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. First Peter, the fourth chapter. Thank you, Dr. Jerry Geller and Dr. Bruce Geller. And uh, this evening, our scripture readers are going to be Dr. Linda Volpe and Dr. Andrea Volpe, both from our Oceanside class. This evening, we're gonna have a three speaker format. Each speaker gets approximately 35 minutes. And our first speaker this evening will be Dr. Peg Trevison from our Syracuse class. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. This Good is evening. a surprise, so I don't plan. I don't have any plans to tell you that. Um, but there was something in the scripture reading that kind of piqued my interest. I have, to, I have to look back at it and follow it now. Um, hmm. Well, I want to thank everyone for being here, one thing. And um, sometimes when I turn on um, this Zoom class, I also look at it on my phone and see there's a lot of, you have a lot of people that watch on YouTube and say hello to each other. So there's a lot of... Um, a lot of people interested in what's going on here because it is such a phenomenal thing that this teaching 
has reached, I think, I think I read there's somebody there from the Caribbean watching this class tonight. Um, so, and you've got people from Connecticut all over, you know, so it's just to me, it's meant, it's a thing meant to be because I remember um, our Eastern Dean Mitchell Burbank saying that Dr. Kinley had told him if it was necessary to fly a plane and drop leaflets around about this class that that's what should be done. Now, this, uh, the, so the Zoom meeting is the same idea. It's getting the word out. It's getting, it can go everywhere and anywhere because the internet is so global. That they call it the World Wide Web, WWW. So it's, it's worldwide, it's universal. So Yahweh has provided us with a way to get this gospel out. And so that people can know something about him. I'm just gonna start real simple. Um, let's go to John 17 and 3, mm -hmm. because eternal life is a real thing. And we've never, I don't know, how much do you think about eternity? We usually don't. We usually look at the clock. It's always oh, time to get up. Oh, it's time to eat dinner. Oh, it's time to do this. Oh, I have to go pick up so-and-so from work now. We, look at, we live by the clock, and we don't think about eternity. And there's also Isaiah, is it 57 something? I, he dwells, he, he who inhabits eternity. That's the one that we want to know about because that's where we want to be is with the one who inhabits eternity for eternity. That's eternal life. So let's get John 17, three first, if we could have that one. John 17 and three. And this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true Elohim, and Yahshua the Messiah, whom thou hast sent. So this is life eternal. Now, I grew, I was raised Roman Catholic, and uh, if you had told me what eternal life was, I might have said, um, uh, that means going to heaven. That's what I would have thought. That's what, you know, the way I was raised in Roman Catholicism, eternal life, are you, you know, I would have thought, oh, that means you're going to heaven and you live forever in heaven whole different concept of what the truth is. It's the truth is this is Yahshua Messiah. If you have a Bible that the letters are of the Messiah are in red, then this is in red. Can you read it one more time for me, Andrea? And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true Elohim and Yahshua, the Messiah, whom thou hast sent that they might know thee the only true Elohim and Yahshua, the Messiah. So that's what the Messiah says eternal life is to know something about the only true Elohim who is Yahweh. Elohim is the title of our heavenly father, Yahweh, pure spirit in shape and form. He's referred to as Elohim. And that, that concept of Elohim is different than you're going to hear in, in any other religion. Now, typically Christianity, Christianity teaches a trinity. They've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So they've got God the Father, you picture as an old man way up above the sun, moon, and stars in the clouds someplace with gray hair. Then you've got God the Son. You always think of him, the one that came down. This is my, you know, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You think of the one on the cross or Jesus in, in the Christianity. God, the Holy Spirit, never got any explanation about that one at all, except for maybe a picture of a dove. And that was their explanation 
of the Godhead and that there was three persons. This is when I came to class and I thought about this one. They talk about three persons in the Blessed Trinity. And when I came to class, it took me a while, but after a while I realized there are no persons in the Blessed Trinity or there's no persons in the Godhead. Let me say that. There's no persons in the Godhead. It's Yahweh pure spirit. It's Yahweh Elohim, which is Yahweh in shape and form. And then that same spirit manifesting in a physical body as Yahshua. So there's no persons at all. It's, a, it's spirit. It's spirit invisible. It's spirit in an incorporeal shape and form. And it's spirit manifesting in a physical body. So there's no persons at all in this Godhead. That's just to show you how far off the Roman Catholic Church was from the truth. Had it totally wrong. Ding dong, you're wrong. They just had it so wrong. Um, that it, and it never made any sense. You couldn't understand it. It was like, and they even told you, oh, it's a mystery beyond that. You can't understand it. It's a, it's a wonderful, great mystery. They tell you in their catechism, you can't understand it. And we were silly enough to settle for that. Let's go over to Romans 1, 19 and 20, because Paul says something different about understanding the Godhead. And um, while someone's getting that, maybe we will go to that Isaiah, so we know where Yahweh dwells. I, was it Isaiah 57? 15. 15, thank you. Yes. Romans 1, 19, would you like that first? Sure. Because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh hath showed it unto them. Now, that's the thing we, we read about over in John, that eternal life is to know him. Now, read that again, Linda, please. Because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them. So there's something Yahweh that can be known. And, and Yahshua the Messiah says, this is eternal life to know about your creator. So in Linda's talent reading here in Romans... Read it again, please, Linda. Because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So he's saying that we have no excuse for not knowing something about the Godhead. Isn't that amazing? And he's he's going to show it. He's the one that's going to teach us, teach it to us, and show it to us. So, Dr. Kinley used to say, the only one that can tell you about Yahweh is Yahweh Himself. And I was just listening to one of the um, tapes, and I don't remember. It was in thirty someplace, where he was saying, "I'm not teaching you about Yahweh." Dr. Uh, he, he mentioned a couple of the other teachers that were there at that lecture. He's not teaching you. It's Yahweh himself that's teaching you. That if you know something about Yahweh, it's directly from Yahweh himself. You know, we look at a person and say, oh, I learned it from this one. I learned it from that one. No, you didn't. You learned it from the Holy Spirit manifest in that person and sharing it with you. And that it's that Holy Spirit in you receiving it. So it's operation of the Holy Spirit. And so to know him is life eternal. And to know something about the Godhead and that we are without an excuse. 
Now, um, let's go back to that Isaiah 57. 14, 15, was it? Mm -hmm. Isaiah 57, 15, I believe. Are you ready? Yep, whenever you're ready. I'll start at 14. Okay. Isaiah 57 and 14. And shall say, cast ye up, cast ye up. Prepare the way. Take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. I'll be right back. Go ahead, Andrea. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and lofty place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So he dwells in a high and lofty place, but he's with them that is of a contrite and humble spirit. So there is an, a proper attitude. And that's, you know, that goes, that makes me think of, you know, that when a child is born, there's a, they talk about um, their child to be delivered. It has to assume a proper attitude. Now, it just is the way nature has it. It's not that the child is actually doing anything, but it does take this position with the head bowed if it's gonna be birthed a, a good, uh, decent delivery, not a, uh, what do they call it when it's not? Breach. Breach. Yeah, not breach. If it's going to be a correct, delivered the right way, the um, fetus will take what they call a proper attitude. Its arms will be crossed across its chest and its head would be bowed. And that's referred to by the doctors as a proper attitude. And so it looks, because of the head bowed and the arms crossed, it looks humble, like it's taking a humble attitude. And that is kind of the attitude you have to have when you come to this class. And if you already think you know everything, boy, I wish I had 50 cents for everybody that walked into our class over the however many years we've had class in Syracuse, 40 something years, that came in and sat down and listened to a lecture and said they already knew all that and they left. And you know that they didn't. It's just that they could not humble themselves to the fact that they'd never heard anything like it before. And they couldn't humble themselves. They didn't have the proper attitude and they walked out never to be seen again. And then there's other people that come in and they're just, they're taken by it. They're held captive by the truth. And they've got, they, they're humbled by the truth. And they realize that there's somebody, uh, there's a spirit worth, there's a spirit in operation and it's working. And it's working across this whole creation, proving himself by the things that are made, proving his existence. Boy, there's just so much that you can know about your creator that I'm just going to start with. Um, we're just, I'm just going to work with his name for a few minutes and then I'm going to pass it off. So I would like to go to Psalms 150 verse 6. I love this one. And then... Um, The fact that you breathe the name Yahweh, we'll pick it up in, in Genesis, how he breathed into Adam the breath of life and he became a living soul. Psalms 150 and 6 first. Yeah. Let everything that hath breath praise Yahweh. Praise ye Yahweh. And you think, how can that be? 
let everything that has breath praise Yahweh. Well, the fact of the matter is that every single human being on the earth breathes. We all sound, you know, if you heard somebody breathing, you wouldn't know where they're from. You wouldn't know if they only speak Chinese, they only speak Portuguese, they only speak French, they only speak Spanish. You wouldn't know to hear them breathe. You don't know what language they speak because breathing is universal in every single human being, all almost 8 billion of us on the face of the earth, all breathe that name Yahweh. Every single one of us is giving praise to him every with every breath we take. Now, if you don't know it, then you don't know it. But if it's been revealed to you and you understand it, then you realize the one that made you signed you with his name and you're breathing his name, that breath of life. Let's just pick it up over in Genesis to show you how breathing that name is your breath of life. Genesis 2 and 7. And Yahweh Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Yep. Now, that's Adam. He breathed into Adam his name, Yahweh. And Adam started breathing or started respiration. Respire. Spirari comes from a word meaning spirit. So when you're breathing, that's respiration. And you're, there's in, in, inspiration when you breathe in and expiration when you breathe out. And when you first are born, you take that first breath, inspiration, you breathe in. And when you die, you exhale, expiration, spirari, every single minute in between, you're breathing. So there's Adam with his taking, is being, was made a living soul. Now, he received that breath of life from a physical standpoint. Now, Yahshua came in fulfilling the law of prophets. And I know I'm, I'm skipping over a whole bunch of stuff. I'm hoping that you've been around long enough. And if you haven't, ask questions. If you don't understand something, ask the questions. But I'm going to go back now over to John 20, 22, where Yahshua is with his disciples and he breathes on them and see what they receive when he breathes on them. John 20, 22. And we might have to pick it up a little bit. All righty, John 20. Um, pick it oh, I know, it's hard. Pick it up at 19, I guess. This All is right. after Yahshua's been put in the tomb. This is after. This is his res in his resurrection. Then, set, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Yahshua and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw Yahweh, or when they saw the master. Mm -hmm. Then said Yahshua to them again, Peace be unto you. As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whoever sins ye retain, they are retained. 
Okay, the point that I wanted to get here is how that Yahshua breathed on his disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now, they didn't receive it right then because this isn't Pentecost yet, but he's setting them up for that. He's getting them right. He already had spent the three and a half years with them, showing him them how he was fulfilling the law and the prophets and told them all the time. There's some place in Luke where he said, you know, he tells me, he goes, I, I I'm telling you, I gotta, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna be crucified. And on the third day, I'm gonna raise again. He tells them that all those three and a half years, he's telling them everything that he's doing. And now at this point, he's gonna breathe on them. And Adam was received that breath of life and became a living soul physically. Now they are gonna receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and they're gonna be made alive spiritually. There is a physical life and there's a spiritual life. And in this class, you're gonna learn more about that than you ever did before. You didn't, did you even know that before? I didn't, you know, you never, you never were caused to think about these things, but you come to class and things are brought up and brought out and, and it gives you something to meditate on, something to meditate about and you start understanding the spirit operating in you, operating in the creation, and you see it operating in the brethren, and it's just uh, something beautiful to behold. So with that, I'm gonna leave it um, for another speaker, and thank you very much for this opportunity. All praises to be our heavenly father for all that he's done for us. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Trevison. And our second speaker today will be Dr. Sue Sikelski from our Rhode Island class. Hi, are you able to hear me? Yes, yeah. we can. Thank you. Um, it's my pleasure to be with you this evening and to try and share some of those things that the Holy Spirit has showed to me um, in this class where we are never ending learning, unlike school where you go and you have a, a school year, you have exams, you work your way through various levels of education and people always have an end point in their mind, whether it's to graduate high school or college or get their masters or their doctorate in this school, there is just not an end to the learning. And no matter how long we have been coming to this class, and I came in in 1971, it is just incredible the things that you still realize you don't know and the things that you still are excited to see. So um, I encourage anybody to just continue studying with us and hopefully you'll be blessed in the same way I feel that I have been. Um, could we go into Acts, the second chapter, picking up on where the first speaker left off? And I'd like to start right at verse one. It was Acts 17 and one? Two, I'm sorry. Did I say two? I meant two, Acts two and one. Okay, hold on. Acts 2 and 1. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it Okay, filled... so 
Um, Andrea and Linda, I'm going to apologize now just once for interrupting you constantly during my lecture here. Um, the first speaker was talking about how with the Messiah, after his resurrection, but before the day of Pentecost, he breathed on the disciples and said, receive you the Holy Spirit which was opening the door to their understanding of things that they had not had an understanding of prior to that point in time. And so we move forward a short while to come to the actual day of Pentecost, which um, Pentecost is 50, 50 days after the death, burial and resurrection. And we read about what happened on that day. Now, this is a momentous event that before I came into class, I remember hearing about Pentecost, but I don't remember hearing much about it and certainly not an explanation or an understanding from the people that were supposedly teaching me things about religion, about the Bible, about the, um, the Messiah. They certainly did not understand the importance of the day of Pentecost. And so one of the things that you want to stick around and listen to what we are able to help share with you and to show you is how important the day of Pentecost really was. And so um, Andrea, can you pick it up? And are you in a holy name? Because your first verse didn't start where mine does. I never use a holy name. All right. and so. The first verse, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, is that what yours says? It does, but I didn't start reading it one because for some reason I read it two, two, and I can't explain why. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. But would you pick up with one when you read again, please? Of course. Acts two and one. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. All right. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and it started, this door that was being opened by the Messiah started when he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But that was just the door opening. And so this was the day fully came and they were all with one accord in one place. So all of those people, disciples, apostles that had been following Yahshua. And when you think about what happened he, he had had a large group of people following him for quite a while during his ministry. And you read about how they saw the miracles. There was the group that were fed with the fishes and the loaves. And as time went on, and he was only in his ministry for three and a half years, but as time went on, those people started to fall away. The crowds got smaller. The, the times got more stressful. And when it came to the time of when he was um, arrested and taken um, to in front of um, the religious elders and, and um, they were questioning him and they were talking about putting him to death. There were very few people that were still around that were openly at least acknowledging that they were following him and they still had some loyalty to the Messiah at that point. And so um, after his death, burial and resurrection, there was a small group of people um, that were all gathered together in one accord in one place. And with one accord, 
um, tells you that they were of all of one um, mindset. They were all thinking the same thing. They were all waiting for something to happen. Um, from a natural standpoint, what their expectations might have been would have been different. But Yahweh had them gathered there in a type to show you that there is a gathering of one all together at one minute, like in the most holy place on the day of atonement, which is if you break down the word atonement, it's at one minute. When Yahweh does a revelation or when he does something um, of a spiritual nature to help you see and get an understanding, it's with one accord in one place, showing a unity. Keep reading. Acts two and two. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. So you have the um, experience, the way that they could describe what happened is a rushing mighty wind, a sound from heaven. Now, when um, Ped talked about the birth of a child and how the terms used medically are that the child needs, ideally the child needs to have a proper attitude um, for a normal delivery, which is the head bowed down, the arms crossed, um, crossed on its chest in an appearance of humility or humbleness. The, the thing that happens when the child first comes out of the mother's womb, whether it's delivered C-section or natural, is that you're waiting for the child to take a breath. And so that baby in order to become alive in um, the full sense of the word, it has been alive in the womb, but in order to become alive as its own living soul, it needs to take in a rushing mighty wind into its body and breathe separately from the mother because prior to that point, it had been living and being fed by the oxygen in the mother's bloodstream that went, goes over to the baby's system. And so one of the things that happens when that um, occurs is that there's a hole in the baby's heart between the two upper um, chambers, the two uh, atrium. And when the breath is taken, then that hole in the heart closes and the baby becomes um, now having its own circulatory system fully implemented. So the rushing mighty wind in the newborn baby gives it life and gives it essentially a new heart because it's no longer dependent upon its mother. So on the day of Pentecost, that rushing mighty wind um, gave them or was symbolic of that breath being breathed into them like Yahweh breathed into Adam, like the Messiah breathed onto the apostles um, after the resurrection and gave them a new heart and a new mind. So that, that uh, natural example of breathing that we have, as Peg was talking about, it says all things in, in Psalms 150, all things that have breath praise Yahweh. And 
that's been happening since the moment that Adam was brought alive, right down on through to us and to all those who live after us as a constant witness. Think about how often you breathe, how many people there have been on the face of the earth, how many breaths, and that's people to say nothing of animals. And there's a process of oxidation or breathing that's an equivalent in um, the, the plant kingdom as well. So all of that has just been constant praise to the name of Yahweh. You breathe in Yah, you breathe out way. And you breathe that from the moment you're born to the moment that you pass. A constant witness that we never were aware of till somebody brought it to our attention. And yet there's a great interest and um, recognition of the benefits of things like meditation and yoga that all bring out an emphasis on breathing. And yet people still don't understand how that is such a witness to who they were created by and who's animating our physical bodies and keeping us alive. Now in Romans 1.19 that the first speaker talked about where the natural things witness or help us understand the things of the spirit, if our natural life depends on this oxygen and the uh, effects of the coronavirus have been making that magnified as a manifestation, then that's a type and a shadow of how important it is to understand Yahweh and Yahshua from a spiritual standpoint, or how important that is for our eternal life as the scripture that she had gotten in John 17, three. So all of these things, they just are, are constant witnesses to us and reinforce the things that are important for us to know that Yahweh has been showing us. Now, could we go back into the scripture reading and read the, I think it's the first verse, um, back into first Peter, the fourth chapter. First Peter four, starting. I, yeah, start at one. Oh, okay. First Peter four, one. For as much then as Yahshua hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Okay, for so um, Linda, if you would stop there for a moment. Um, it talks about, for as much as Yahshua has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Now, Arming ourselves with the same mind is a thought-provoking statement, particularly in light of a lot of what's been going on in current events recently, a lot of discussion about arms, about weapons, about um, concern of violence, about um, riots and um, pipe bombs and all of those things from a natural standpoint that have been in the news recently. Um, and 
coincidentally, I had also been reading um, recently, there was a National Geographic that came in with an article entitled Dressed to Kill, Arms and Armor in the Iliad, which was a um, Greek poem. And in that article that I had glanced through, it talks about all these different types of armor and armaments um, that were described in the Iliad and were in use at that time in history. And they were elaborate and they were engraved and they were made out of all these um, fine but hardened metals and, and materials to, to fight these battles. And when you read about all these things, you wonder how the um, fighters could even move being covered with what they were and the shields that they were carrying and the weapons and the spears and everything sounded like it would be such a weight that you couldn't even move to fight in a battle. And it got me thinking about um, the, the armaments or the way that we um, defend ourselves against all the things that happen on a daily basis, and I don't mean from a physical standpoint, hopefully most of us don't have to contend with any physical threats of violence, although that's possible as well. But speaking from a spiritual and psychological standpoint, it's kind of a never ending battle that we find ourselves in against the things in this world. And um, so let's get, Let's go to Revelation 12 as a, a first place to think about this, because the concept of war and battles goes back further than you might even be familiar with, depending on whether or not you know what's in the Bible or not. And I must say, we use the Bible a lot in this class, and we have we talk about the stories that are in the Bible and a lot of our um, our charts depict things that are in the Bible, but we don't take the Bible on blind faith and we don't believe that the Bible is necessarily error-free. There's a way to understand from your creator um, how to determine what is true. And there's also a whole creation and everything that's made around us that also are witnesses and are things that explain all of these principles that we talk about. So um, you don't need to be a Bible scholar and you don't need to be um, confined or limited to just using something like what's in the Bible to help explain the things that we talk about. And the more witnesses that we can see and the more places we can show the principles in, the more effective it is for all of us to um, be able to understand the things that we talk about. So um, if we look in Revelation 12 and I think I'd like to just start at seven. There's some backstory here before that and I would encourage you to read the earlier part of the chapter but for the sake of time, let's just start at seven here. Revelation 12 and seven. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought in his angels. And prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. 
All right, so there was a war in heaven. This goes back to um, talking about with the angelic creation and um, an existence that's um, different from the one in the earth plane that we're currently living in. And during that war, there was a group of angels. There's Michael, who's known as an archangel and an archangel of action or a warrior and his angels. And they fought against the dragon or the devil or the mystery of iniquity and his angels. And the dragon and his angels prevailed not, they lost the war. And neither was their place found anymore in heaven, Read. And that'll be nine. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. All right, and as a result of losing that war, they were cast out of heaven. They were cast into the earth, read. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our Elohim and the power of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our Elohim day and night. Okay, and so after the, the dragon and the angels were cast down, said, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our Elohim and the power of his Messiah. So we have before even this earth plane, before all of the wars that we read about in the Bible, before all the things that we see in our current events, there was a war and then there was salvation and the kingdom of our Elohim and the power of his Messiah. So it's talking about all these principles that we see later on with Yahshua the Messiah, but we, we're seeing it back in the, the angelic kingdom. And it says that the dragon and his angels, one of the attributes was that they were an accuser of the brethren and accused them before Elohim day and night. So that gives us one way to discern or to see the devil in action. If you see accusing the brethren, you're seeing a characteristic that the devil manifests. Read. That will be Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. All right, and, and they overcame him meaning Michael and his angels, they overcame the dragon and his angels, read. By the blood of the lamb. By the blood and, of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony. And by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. And they loved not their lives unto the death. So now you're seeing the picture of how they won this war that was in heaven. They overcame the dragon and the accusing of the brethren by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And then it continues on that we're, we're not gonna um, continue reading for right now. So if we, if we think about what we read back in the first verse of the scripture reading, 
that talked about arming ourselves with the same mind that was in Yahshua, then you see the characteristics played out a bit more. The blood of the lamb, the word of the testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. So those are characteristics that we're going to see that should manifest if we're armed with the same mind as Yahshua and can win the war against the devil. Now, in um, First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians 10, it talks about that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So Paul is being very clear that we're not talking about guns. We're not talking about um, uh, tanks. We're not talking about anything that we normally think of as weapons. And if, um, let's see, Ephesians 6, please, um, starting down where it talks about putting on the whole armor of Yahweh. I think it's about halfway through the chapter. That will be Ephesians 6 and 10. Okay. Finally, finally, my brethren, be strong in Yahshua and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of Yahweh that he may be able to stand against, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay, so pause for a moment, please. Um, so he talks about putting on the whole armor of Yahweh, and he points out that we're fighting against, battling against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, a manifestation of that in the earth plane could be um, the religious elders of the day, could be the political leaders of the day, could be um, anybody that we look up to, that we idolize. The, but the reality is, is he's talking about those that are um, spiritually battling for your soul that the spiritual wickedness in high places are those that are saying they have the words of eternal life that they can help you get um to heaven that they can help you get to the kingdom of yahweh all those things that um the first speaker was was talking about they claim to be able to give you a way to get there, but the reality is, is that they, they can't do that. They are deceiving you, which is another attribute of the mystery of iniquity. They are lying. They appear as ministers of righteousness, which is um, talked about in one of the scriptures in the New Testament, but it is really covering up darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. So the armor, the battle that we're trying to um, uh, be prepared for, be properly armed for, 
is that spiritual wickedness in high places. And um, it, taking a step back for a moment to share an observation that we had talked about in our class a couple of weeks ago, um, we were watching what was happening relative to the inauguration day of the new president and vice president and contrasting that a bit with what had happened shortly before that with the riots at the Capitol and all the violence and, and everything that had gone on. And to some extent, um, some of the attitudes in the world that are pitting people against one another with different views, different um, opinions, different theories, and made the observation that even though for, for some people, the inauguration day brought a different appearance of a new heart, a new mind, a change in the administration, that when we look at it from our viewpoint of knowing what Yahweh is working and that all of these things are, are working behind the veil of the flesh, all of the attributes, that the things that, the parts of things that we may not um, identify with from a natural standpoint, because being all people, we have our own opinions and our own um, things that we like and we don't like. It's all of the flesh. It's all of the worldly um, nature, the carnal mind, mankind, theories, concepts, and opinions, regardless of which side of that equation you might fall on, none of it is spiritual. All of it is still from man's concepts, theories, and opinions. And all of it is, if it's not a revealed, a spiritual revelation from Yahweh, then it one side of it may be more um, pleasing to you than another side or more socially acceptable to you than another side. You might not approve of rioting and everything else that happened, but it's still all physical, still all um, essentially characteristics of spiritual ignorance and darkness just with different manifestations. And so we don't wanna be misled into thinking that um, any of that is, well, first of all, let me take a step back. All of that is Yahweh's purpose and is playing out the way that Yahweh has his purpose manifesting for his plan and for what he's accomplishing with this earth plane. But um, we need to guard against getting pulled into um, the things in the flesh because they're just a manifestation. And like we can see, you know, black and white, good and bad, um, right and wrong, um, nice and not so nice, tasty, and we don't like the taste of something, all those things are all physical. And so um, our armor, still has to protect us against the wiles of the devil and all those things that are a detriment um, or uh, 
uh, possible injury or threat to our spiritual life. That's where our focus needs to be. So when we talk about arms, we talk about weapons, we talk about warfare, um, it's on a whole different level than what the world looks at. And um, it's a blessing if we're able to take a step back and to be able to look beyond the veil of the flesh and see what Yahweh is working um, in order to have us be at spiritual peace and rest. Now, um, back into Ephesians 6, and I stopped you at some point. Would you pick that back up again and continue reading? Um, I was starting at 13, or would you like 12 again? Um, do 12 again, please. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of Yahshua, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which, with which ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of Yahweh. All right. And so if you picture all those things, that's the whole armor of Yahweh. That's what we need to be um, taking on. And unlike what I was reading about in that National Geographic magazine, all those things, they are not heavy. You put those on and they are, they are light. They are, um, they conform to the image of the Messiah. You've, if you can put those things on from a spiritual standpoint, they, they defend you from those fiery darts. And um, if you think about back with David and Goliath, the short version of the story is that David came forth, Goliath was this giant, annoying, um, uh, Philistine who was telling troubling Israel and nobody wanted to try and take him on because he was so large he was so threatening and there was no man that felt he could take him on and yet this young man youth David comes forward and says um David said well he's he's trashing the name of Yahweh he's he's dissing Yahweh, we've got to, we've got to set him straight. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, the story. And so he came forward and he said, I will go out and take on Goliath. And so um, the, the king at the time wanted to put David in the armor that the king had. And David said, I don't want to wear that. I haven't tried it. I haven't proved it. I don't know that it's going to protect me. Um, but I, and Yahweh has taken care of me in a number of other instances where um, I've been up against a situation where 
um, I wouldn't normally have been able to survive, but he fought for me. And so he went out with his little bag and five smooth stones and in the name of Yahweh went up against this giant, took him on and took him out. And so um, his version of the armor was a small bag with five smooth stones. Who would have thought that that could have been the whole armor that would have taken down a giant that was essentially um, taking on all of Israel and no one wanted to go out and fight him. But Yahweh manifested through that, that size doesn't matter. Um, your weapons don't matter. If Yahweh's gonna fight for you and if you're fighting in the name of Yahweh, then he has your back. Um, Moses in the third chapter of uh, Exodus, when Moses, Yahweh talked to Moses, he, uh, Yahweh appeared in the burning bush and said to Moses, I want you to go down and go up in front of Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And the story obviously is much longer than that. But if you read in the third chapter of Exodus, what Moses says to Yahweh after he gets over his initial um, uh, amazement at being asked to do this, and trying to think through how to respond to this, he doesn't say to Yahweh, well, then I would like an army. I would like you to give me all these weapons. Um, he said to Yahweh, then I need to know your name. I have to have a name to go down there in front of Pharaoh and to tell the children of Israel in whose name I am coming. That shows you the power of the name of Yahweh that Moses felt that that was what he needed in order to go on this mission that Yahweh was sending him on. That name of Yahweh is manifest in so many places where it talks about that Yahweh will fight for you and in his name, he's doing certain things. Um, And to, to detour for just one minute, in, in Revelation in the 13th chapter, um, if, if one of the readers could go there, please, start Five at, minutes, I, please. I think Five start minutes, right please. at one. Five minutes, please. Okay, thank you. Revelation 13 and one. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns, and upon his horns, 10 crowns, and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. Keep reading. And, when the, and, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth was as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? 
And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. Okay. And so we're, we're hearing or we're reading about um, a beast that was given power and um, reading about that dragon that we had read about in chapter 12. Now continue reading in six. This is the interesting part I wanted to get to about this beast. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against Yahshua to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. All right. And so this beast, his focus, and he was given power. He opened his mouth in blasphemy against Elohim or against Yahshua to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. In other words, the sons of Yahweh. And so this battle, the, the name of Yahweh and Yahshua are one of the focuses of the beast as he wages his war that was in heaven, the beast or the dragon and his angels were cast down to the earth. And so that's where they're currently waging their war spiritual wickedness in high places and this warfare is to make war with the sons blaspheme against Yahweh and Yahshua and the tabernacle now that tabernacle we haven't talked about really tonight but it's called the tabernacle of witness and the pattern of that tabernacle that Yahweh gave was the pattern by which he made all things and as we study that, we find out things about the stories in the Bible, the things in the creation, the um, design and function of the human body. That tabernacle is, is the explanation of Yahweh, Elohim, and the pattern and plan. So this devil or this beast is blaspheming or defiling or speaking evil of all of these things that are the, the, um, the truth and the power and the beauty of, of Yahweh and his purpose. So it's no surprise because it's always in the name of Yahweh that Yahweh says he is fighting for us. And that as long as we are, um, armed with the gospel the truth we stand in the power that that's how we fight those fiery darts and put on the whole armor of Yahweh to to continue working in or um, existing and and um, working in this world now, the one remaining thing I would like to um, mention is that there's a word that I came across when I was um, researching arms and armaments and that kind of thing. Um, I'm going to just pull it out of my dictionary so that someone doesn't have to go looking for it. It's the word is armamentarium, spelled A-R-M-A-M-E-N-T-A-R-I-U-M, -E armamentarium. And it's used generally in a medical sense. And it's the whole set or array of available methods, 
skills, drugs, equipment, etc. So it's the spiritual version of being prepared with how a healer or a metaphysician would fight a battle. It's all the tools and the knowledge and the processes and the equipment that a doctor has to, to heal somebody, to diagnose somebody. And so that's a type and a shadow of what we've been given with the pattern, with the understanding of the Godhead, with the importance of witnesses and with um, the elements of the armor of Yahweh that we've been blessed to be able to have and to wear. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sikelski. And our third speaker this evening will be Dr. Shannon Brewster from our Oceanside class. Good evening, everybody. Sorry, I was trying to uh, close my garage door to reduce the noise. So can you hear me okay? Yes. Yes. Well, I am uh, also uh, happy to be here this evening and happy to have anything to say about this teaching. And I will do my level best to kind of pick up where the previous speakers left off and, you know, try to get across some of the things that we've come to know and understand since we've been in attendance at these classes. And it's just something that we really can't take lightly that we're allowed to look into and peer into these things and reflect. You know, I, I'd, I'd like um, study looked up. Um, some of the things that the previous speaker was saying just kind of made that word come to mind because she had mentioned it a couple of times. So if somebody could pick up the word study. And we, we often talk about the fact that this is a school and it's not a church. And our founder set this up as a school he had been well acquainted with churches. He, has, he was a minister, in fact, in the Church of God uh, for almost 15 years or somewhere around 15 years prior to having this divine vision revelation that he brought to the world. And when he um, sought to get across to the world the things that he had seen in the vision that the moderator talked about and understood by way of a revelation, the first thing that he did was went out to uh, paint these charts that you see up on the screen here. And the reason for that is, you know, you, you walk into most schools and you expect to see a blackboard or now in modern times, some type of a whiteboard. Um, you see pictures and diagrams and, and that's essentially what these charts are. These charts are your Bible um, laid out, but more importantly, the vision and revelation that he saw laid out on canvas and now reproduced in digital form so that we could put up in a, in a Zoom session. But Originally, after he had the vision, and it's not up on the screen right now, I don't think, um, but um, there was his first chart was a chart called the chart on the pattern or the plan of salvation. And um, then this chart here that you see, it was what we call our 40 plate chart. Um, but um, if you could just zoom in on this one here and if uh, you have that definition handy, I just want to kind of lay into the fact that the difference between this organization and others, Dr. Kinley could have gone out and established a church, but he um, because he underst the understanding that he received here through this vision, he knew that the church is not something that you could 
uh, establish through some type of a charter or some type of a filing with the government and building of a building. The church is actually the body of the Messiah. And it was him that caused us to reflect on the fact that um, the world has kind of made a mess of that in the sense that you have all of these different denominations and organizations coming out of the Bible and they're all claiming to be churches of, of the Messiah. And you can even, you know, like I said, Dr. Kinley was a member of the Church of Christ. Wait, Church of God? Um, you've got all different types of churches saying they're the Church of God. The other one says, no, I'm the church, we're the Church of Christ. And another one says, uh, we're the Church of God in Christ. And another one says, no, we're the Church of Christ and God. And it was Dr. Kinley that pointed out to us that if you understand what a church is, and the church is the body or the bride or the assembly, that um, there really can't be but one church for you to belong to, because you only have one body, your head has one body, and the Messiah only has one bride. So there is not multiple churches for you to belong to. So Dr. Kinley didn't attempt to go out and establish another church because the church had already really been established from the foundation of the world. And therefore, the school was set up as a school um, with the intent, and this was already talked about tonight, that you would come to know something. When you go to a church, I mean, excuse me, when you, come, when you go to a school, you go to a school expecting to learn something that you didn't know before. So this was established as a school for you to come with the recognition that it, that it was for you to learn something. And as the, one of the prior speakers already said, it is possible for you to know something for an assurity about your creator, something concrete, something definite, something sure, and something true that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that is something that the world really doesn't think about, right? For the most part, God is, is a belief and you can have your way and I'll have my way. Uh, and nobody can really know until we go on to the by and by. And that's not, that's not supported in your Bible. We already had a scripture read tonight that supported um, the fact that there was something that you could know about Yahweh as he really is and actually exists. And so um, my point in all that to say is when you come to a school, you expect to learn and you expect to study. And sometimes, um, that study can be a misnomer, right? Because you get the idea, and this is something that you really have to wrap your mind around <clears throat> early on, that, yet the, at an, that an understanding of your creator does not come by you reading scriptures, um, researching, um, um, burning the midnight oil, as it, were, as it would seem. Um, and that might be, disconcerting to some because we want to believe that we have something that we can do to be saved and that was a that was a concept that we had um that the world over embraces that i can i can um, be pleasing to my creator by doing something whether it's uh carnal ordinances whether it's going and getting baptized whether it's circumcising our kids uh, tithing to the church and giving um, 10% of our gross income or, um, you know, uh, volunteering in soup kitchens and all these things that we can do, we think that that makes us pleasing to our creator. And on the flip side of it, we come into this class and we find out that, you know, those things are out. Um, Yahweh never intended for you to worship him with physical things. But then 
we could adopt other carnal ordinances for ourselves to think, well, you know, if I just study enough, if I just read enough, if I follow, uh, if I, if I read enough transcripts, if I listen to enough tapes, um, and we call that studying per se, guess what? Your understanding of your creator doesn't come that way. I'm not saying not to do that, but it is by revelation, not, um, not you knowing the book. And Dr. Kinley clued us in on this a long time ago. He said that this, is, this school is not a Bible reading, scripture quoting contest. It doesn't amount to a hill of beans as it relates to you having an understanding of your creator. He does not require that of you in the sense that you're gonna be able to um, you know, run your way through the book and quote chapter and verse and think you're gonna have it nailed that way. It just doesn't come that way. It comes by revelation. And when I say that, I mean, he just makes you to know it. And then he gives you the witness to understand what it is that you're looking at. It's, I'm not saying that he reveals things without evidence. He's always got, he's always showing up with witnesses. You know, the book talks about that. He's a, a great cloud of witnesses. And that's the beautiful thing about this teaching is that when, when Dr. Kinley came preaching, he didn't say, um, I had a vision, just follow me. He said, I had a divine vision and revelation straight from the creator himself. And he said, you make me prove it until you're satisfied. And the things that are laid out here on these charts and the things that the speakers went into this evening are just, some of that evidence that Yahweh gave. And, you know, it, it makes me think of another thing that Dr. Kinley said about, um, you know, that Godhead and Yahweh Elohim. He said that um, when um, um, Yahweh turned the creation over to Elohim and Elohim created the universe, he said that Elohim went bankrupt in what he had done to be, meaning that he used everything Thing that Yahweh had given him, all the substance that Yahweh had laid up for him to use to make the creation, Elohim used every last bit of it. And the purpose of that substance being made materialized into a, an angelic and a, and a physical creation was that it could witness back to him and his existence. And that, therefore, you could look at the creation and understand something about the creator. So he went bankrupt using all of that substance that the father had given him to make the creation, but there was a purpose behind it. And that was to show forth of himself. And that's why this school was set up was for by, and look, we're not down here trying to um, um, show off what we, what you, what we know. Everything that we got, we got from him. I'm talking about Yahshua the Messiah and ultimately by way of our founder. We're not trying to improve on this thing. We're not trying to add to it. We're just trying to give back uh, a faithful testimony or a witness of the vision and revelation that Dr. Kinley saw. And one other thing about that, because this is important too, Dr. Kinley wasn't trying to add anything more than what the, 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 what Moses saw and what um, John saw and what the prophets wrote about. Dr. Kinley said that my job isn't to dispute what they had to say. My job is to come in and prove to you that what they said was so. That they, you could, for your first time, have some confidence in the Bible. And it was something that um, um, Sue said that kind of struck me about that um, as it relates to the Bible. Oh, you said, uh, you made the, the statement that um, that there's mistakes in the Bible. And that's absolutely true. But one thing to just kind of understand about that is the reason that there's mistakes 
in the Bible is because of how it's been handled and treated down through time. And our founder was the one who caused us to first realize or appreciate um, what the Bible is, how it came to be. And as he put it, he said he could prove the divine authenticity, the unerring accuracy, and the absolute infallibility of the Bible. Now, how do you how do you reconcile that statement with what Sue said, which was that we understand that there's mistakes in the Bible. And when Dr. Kinney would say that, he would say, well, it, we, I can prove the divine authenticity, the unerring accuracy, the absolute infallibility of the Bible, barring any misinterpretations, misinterpolations, mistransliterations. And if you really dig into how the Bible has been passed down through um, the ages, if I could put it that way, um, in its original form, in its original text, and to uh, and, and appreciate how it got to the state that it's in sitting on your lap potentially or sitting up on your shelf in your house you want to you need to kind of think about that because that whole process has been subject to incredible amounts of not just corruption but just simple mistakes um it was if, if you just kind of consider <clears throat> this that for I'm just estimating right off the top of my head right now, but I'd say better part of three quarters of the time that the Bible has been in existence, it was really out of, out of the limits of the vast majority of mankind. It's only, it's a very new phenomenon that the Bible is available to the average person. And really what precipitated the ability for the Bible to be so ubiquitous and be the number one bestseller in the world was the invention of the, um, the printing press, which only happened a few hundred years ago. So for the, for the vast majority of the time that the Bible's been in existence, it was held by a very limited number of people. Um, the average person would never have put their hand on a Bible, much less any book before the printing press. They say that the average Bible would have cost, I mean, not, well, the Bible and the average book, books were extraordinarily expensive to create. They only existed in libraries for a very uh, privileged few. If you were lucky enough to read, you wouldn't be able to afford a book or a Bible. Um, they would cost more than the average house if you do your research on this one. Um, so most people didn't, didn't have the luxury of being able to flip open a Bible and read what they were reading. And even if they had that ability, guess what? The book says that the words of the book are sealed. So even if you had access to it you would, and you could open it up, you wouldn't be able to stand, understand what you're reading. So um, I said that to say, you, so they, it was out of the, it was, it was a luxury item, if I can use that word. The average person would never have put their hands on a Bible until recent history. And um, the way that it got to the state that it's in, that was the point I was after, is that men had to sit there and copy it. And, and what would happen is when you copied, because it was literally, you know, open the page and have your blank text and you're looking back and forth and you, maybe that's even where the, the idea of burning the midnight oil comes from. I mean, these, you could just imagine these scribes, you know, just sitting there and that's all they would do, copy. A scribe copies. That's all they do is copy. And the problem would be, you know, if they copied something and they made a mistake, 
and they copied it wrong. And then they gave that copy to someone else. The only, and then someone else copied that copy, that mistake would get precipitated all the way on down the line and all those copies. And that's not even taken into account translating it and going from one language to another and, and how that that could just bastardize the meaning. And so it was our founder, uh, one of the, well, one of the things that our founder constantly reinforced in our minds was that we needed to understand the etymological definitions of these words. And we, we for the first time, became acquainted with how to go in and look in a Strong's concordance and match the numbers up and go back to the original, original word in Hebrew and then see what that word really meant or what that word really was in Hebrew. And if you take the time to do that, you start to see that the, the understanding that you read, just if you just were to read, completely changes completely changes but it's the vision that allows you to understand we we say it like this the vision um the vision will correct the version because there's all these different versions of the bible out there but anyway i'm, I'm kind of beating that point to death but did you find um study yep thank you this is off of my phone dictionary which i couldn't tell you what make it is at all that's okay. All right, hold on. Work. Yeah, hold on one second. The etymology of study um, looks like it came from Latin originally. Mm -hmm. Hold on one sec. I lost the part that I was. Okay, here we go. It's originally from Old French, a study, which came from Latin studium. Which means zeal, inclination. Okay. All right. Study. To apply the mind to learning or understanding of a subject. To apply the mind to learning or understanding. Go ahead. Definition number two. To mm -hmm. investigate or examine... As by observation, research, etc. Mm -hmm. Number three, to look at minutely, to scrutinize. To scrutinize. Go ahead. Number More. four, to give much careful or critical thought to. Mm -hmm. Five, to take a course in a subject, as in college. Uh, Number six. <laughs> Try to okay. memorize as to study apart for a play. Mm -hmm. Seven, to meditate or contemplate to reflect. That's that's what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. To meditate, to reflect. And it makes me think of our founder would say things like, you know, just let that let that soak in. You're supposed to reflect on and meditate on the things that you're hearing down here. And um but in no wise confuse that this school and study has something to do with you wrestling and understanding out of Yahweh, because it doesn't work that way. He, he just gives it to you. In fact, um, can you get for me Titus 3 and 5? Hold on, I got to look this up. Titus 3, 5. Okay. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but Look, according not, to... 
he said, and, and, and um, Greg, can you pull over in the, to the covenants chart for me? <clears throat> he says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. You know, and I'm, I'm not going to lay into this too hard tonight, but, you know, another point that our founder would make over and over and over again. What you got to know who he's talking to and what age is he talking? So when he says we, what is he referring to? It's he's not is not the we, the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? The, the, the we, the Jehovah's Witnesses hadn't even thought about at that point. Catholics hadn't even thought about when he wrote something like when 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 um, this was written. He was this is written by a physical natural Jew, and he's saying not by works of righteousness which we have done, right? Well, how were they doing works of righteousness? And we don't have time tonight to try to break into this, but you see here on this chart, right, the Mosaic law sitting down there to the left of Yahshua's feet. Um, that law was given uh, from Mount Sinai. There was some, you know, the world has picked up on the, the, the Ten Commandments, excuse me, and they talk about the, the Big Ten all the time. What's not commonly understood is that there was some um, 603 others, lo, lo, other law, statute, ordinances, and judgments that Yahweh gave from that mountain that dictated every aspect of their life, from the things that they would wear, to the food that they would eat, to the calendar, to their holidays, to how they would handle disputes with one another. Um, it just went on and on and on and on and on. But the takeaway from all of that, I think it's over in Deuteronomy. Um, I know it's in Deuteronomy, but I can't remember where, where it talks about, is it 9 and 26, where he says it would be, or 6 and 25, where he says it would be our righteousness? Yes. Deut yes. Deuteronomy 6, 25. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before Yahweh our Elohim, as he hath commanded us. Look, it's so it's right there in the in the in the law there. He said it would be our righteousness if we do these things right now. Dr. Kelly put it this way. He said not 40 days from the time that Yahweh had spoke down that law from the mount. Israel had broken every last one of those laws, statutes, ordinances, and judgments. They had broken the whole thing, not 40 days from the time they'd been given it. That uh, notwithstanding. Yahweh allowed them for some 1,500 years to try to keep that law, and they failed miserably. And so it, 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 and you find out that, you know, when the prophets came in, it's over there in Jeremiah, uh, the 31st chapter, um, he starts talking about a new covenant that he was going to give because, the, because they couldn't – and look, folks – they were never meant to keep this, right? And that's, so when you're, when you're, when we're reading over here in Titus, the third chapter, you're all the way on the other side of this cross and kind of takes me to my point. Dr. Kinley would say, when you're reading, you got to know um, what age you're in and, you know, who he's talking to, right? So um, in Deuteronomy, you're on the left side of this chart. And here, here you see on this, right, the scroll, carnal mind and these carnal ordinances. And it says natural, what made them do carnal was that they were natural, physical, earthly, temporary, right? 
And so all of these ordinances, they were given these ordinances from the mouth, the circumcision on the eighth day, right? All of the ceremonies and the offering up of sacrifices and being baptized and, and the suppers and all of those things that they were given. And, and Linda just read that they said when they were given it. Now, if we can keep this, it would be, it, that's, our, that's our righteousness. Well, Yahweh was never intent on showing mankind's righteousness. In fact, I think it's over in Psalms. He says that um, all of our righteousnesses, plural, are as filthy rags, right? They were just laden in sin from the time that, I mean, actually going all the way back to the Edenic transgression, as you see that here on the, on the uh, far left of the, these, these four plates here by Yashua's feet. I mean, that really began all the way back there from the time that they were driven out of the garden. Um, and you see how this flood here, that was Yahweh. Um, you know, he just, it, his, his wrath basically just waxed great because the wickedness of mankind that's over in Genesis about how every imagination of their heart is evil continually. And he, he purposed that he was going to wipe the whole thing out in a flood. And that ended up being the end of that um, antediluvian age. And then when they came on over into the next age, um, the post-Diluvian age, that's when um, the promise was given to Abraham. Um, and really, the, that Abrahamic promise that he was going to bless all of the families of the earth. And when we say all the families of the earth, that includes both Jew and Gentile. That's the all. There's really just two as far as Yahweh looks at the thing. Um, and so he told Abraham that he was going to bless all the, um, he was in his seed, he was going to bless all the families of the earth. Now, Oh, there's just so much I can open it up here that I won't be able to wrap up. But um, that seed that he's that basically what you're when everything on this left side here of Yasha of the cross here is all the types and the shadows and the similitudes that are laid up that are pointing to the reality that was brought in through the Messiah's um, um, fulfillment of the law. Um, through the days of his ministry and then being offered up on this cross and, and in him offering himself up as the ultimate sacrifice, he moved out that old physical um, way of, of worship and that those carnal ordinances and he brought in the reality and that's why you see this huge heart here on the right. Um, it talks and it says right there inside that heart, um, new, new heart and mind led by spirit law. Over here they were, it was all letters, right? In, in what that was written in this book. But in, in, in the new covenant, it's, it's in your inner man. It's in your heart and your mind. And you actually have that spirit in you. On, this side, on the left side of that cross, they didn't have the, the spirit in them, leading them and guiding them. They had to have a mediator to function as a go-between, as it were, between um, Yahweh and, and, and Israel. That's, what, that's the part that, that Moses was playing. You know, and so many of those concepts and um, have been dragged on over here into this present kingdom age. And you see, you know, all over the world, people trying to look to other men, you know, whether it's your pastor or your minister or, um, you know, someone else to, to be that go between between you and God. And you got to run to your guru, as it were, right, to kind of tell you what God thinks. That's not the way it, that did, it was kind of that way on this side of this left side of this chart in that, in that old covenant, but in the new covenant, where is that? Is that in Job where he says that you're going to, you're not going to say 
uh, every man to his um, neighbor and every man to his brother, know ye Yahweh. He says, because all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Okay, can you actually grab that for me? Um, it's in Jeremiah 31. Oh, is that in there, Jer Okay, go ahead, grab that, please. Hold on one sec. Jeremiah. And you might as well, because so I'm, I'm, I'm into that so deeply, maybe just kind of underscore what I'm saying here in the 31st. Pick it up at 31. You want Jeremiah 31, 31? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, uh, Linda, grab for me Matthew 3 and 1. Jeremiah 31, 31. Mm -hmm. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Right. Not according to the mm -hmm. not according ahead, to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So which my covenant. Yeah, so he's saying in here that the days come, saith Yahweh, that I'm going to make a new covenant, and it's not going to be like the old one, not going to be like the one that I gave to Moses um, and the children of Israel when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And, and so not is not, N-O-T, not. It's not going to be like. It's, and, and so it would be kind of behoove you to understand what was that covenant like? Because this new covenant that he was prophesying about way back here in Jeremiah, he said that the new one is not going to be like that old one. Okay? That's a very important point. I'm not going to dwell on that, but keep going, um, um, Andrea. 32. Mm -hmm. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. My covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith Yahweh. Right. But this Keep shall going. be. Now here this... it is. He says, but this, this shall be the covenant. Go ahead. That I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith Yahweh. After those days. Now I'm going to stop because the things that we're allowed to, I mean, we just read over these things, you know, without an understanding. But it is just such a beautiful thing. If you just stop and reflect, reflect, meditate, study, reflect on the fact that it was by the hand of this man that came to us in 1931 that we would be able to hone in on after those days and actually stop and say, wait a minute, what are those days? What are those days? That he's saying, after those days, say it, Yahweh. Go ahead, just finish that out. And then I want to run over to the Matthew that I called. <clears throat> after those days, saith Yahweh, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. Mm. And will be their Elohim and they shall be my people. Now, that's, that's what I was just talking about, what you have on that big heart, right? Where it says right there under the law and the prophets on those two keys. And it says, um, new heart and mind led by the spirit. That's how this new covenant is not like that old covenant because he said that I'm going to put my law in their inward parts and I'm going to write it in their hearts. That's why the New Testament is not what you think it is in terms of it being Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And, you know, because the world, if you were to turn over that, we used to do this when we were in classrooms. You can't do it here on the, on the internet so well. But if you turn over to Matthew, the first chapter, 
And most Bibles, probably the King James Bible, they've inserted a fly leaf there, right? And it says the New Testament, the New Testament. That's wrong. That's one of those mistakes that Sue was kind of hinting about. Because that does not, oops, that does not belong there. Now I'm way into, way more than I thought I was going to try to explain. But look, this new covenant, the new covenant, the new testament is written in your heart. So it can't be physical words on a page. So that's a mistake. And that's misleading. That should not be in your Bible. And that wasn't there. Carnal-minded men who didn't understand the purpose of Yahweh inserted that there. And it's a complete, it, it really throws you off. Because when you start reading in Matthew, the first chapter, what you don't understand is you're still under that old covenant. When you're reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, those things that were written about that went on, that those things were just an accounting of those eyewitnesses, those apostles that walked with the Messiah and they wrote, and honestly, not all of them were eyewitnesses. That's another thing that not everyone understands when you start reading these things, you know, you have to kind of be clued into some of this stuff. Luke was not an eyewitness to Yahshua the Messiah. He was an eyewitness to Paul, but his, but what he wrote gets inserted into there and it's called one of the four gospels and you read in there and you might not even appreciate the fact that what Luke's writing there is not as a firsthand account of having walked with the Messiah and neither was um, um, Acts of Apostles, but I don't, I'm not gonna get into that. My point is that that, that flyleaf posted there in the beginning of Matthew is just flat out wrong. In fact, the New Testament isn't in writing anywhere because it's written in your heart. And we just read that in Jeremiah the 30, 30. We just read, that's what Andrea just read, right? Now, um, now the other point that I was after there, uh, if we can go, kind of go back, um, where it said um, 32, okay, 33, right? Read that again, 33, Andrea. And they shall teach no more every man. No, no, no. Um, pick up where you were, 33, okay. and read, read it, 33. 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those mm -hmm. days, saith Yahweh. After those days. Now, the question is, what are those days? Wouldn't that be important to know? If you're trying to find this new covenant that he was going to make, and he said that this was going to happen after those days. You ought to ask yourself, what are those days? Now, Linda, let's read Matthew 3 and 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, and that's the kind, when I, when I saw this for the first time, and even in this moment, that just sends chills up my spine. Because how would you be, I mean, just in those days, it just seems like such a random thing to say. And you would read that and you wouldn't even begin to consider that you have just, that, that, that is a connection to what we just read way back that was written way, I mean, I don't know what the chronology is on that. Does, you, does anyone, BC 590, 500 
in 90 years before. What Linda just read was when Jeremiah penned that. I mean, it's hard for us to appreciate the passing of years, but 590 years ago, in, in retrospect, if you go back 590 years from today's date, Europeans hadn't even discovered the ground that most of us are standing on. Am I wrong about that? What is it, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue? <laughs> 590 years ago, Europeans hadn't walked on this ground in North America, right? This, what we read in Jeremiah, is 590 years before what Linda just read. And, he's, and Jeremiah is given a prophecy, and he said, after those days, I'm going to write my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. And then here we are, 600 years fast forward. And Matthew picks right up on it and says, in those days, those days. So setting the stage about what's about to happen. This is where the covenant's changing, right? Um, and so John comes in. Oh, uh, I'm out of time, but man, there's just, I'm just kind of triggering some things that we've been looking at here with doing these transcripts. Because some of the things that, you know, are popping out of these transcripts are just, um, blowing my mind um, because you know things that we don't necessarily I've never considered before never um, never thought about before um, and one of the things that I don't know if we if we sent this one out yet or if it was in the last transcript that we sent out I had never thought about this and this is totally going away from you know this fundamental thing I'm kind of jumping into something if if someone's listening for the first time maybe a little more advanced but um, and I didn't lay a lot of groundwork here but um you know what what greg's zoomed in on here now showing that the reality right that I've, all of those things that were types and shadows back there under the law um those were reality those things were brought into their reality through the outpouring of the holy spirit on the day of pentecost which only happened through yash the messiah coming in and being that that all that that the the offering uh making himself an offering um for us Okay, and, and really playing that part of the, the lamb that was a type and shadow of back in the land of Egypt and the lambs that were offered up on the altar of burnt offering in the tabernacle. All those things were types and shadows of the true lamb, which was the Messiah himself. And him coming in and offering himself up um, allowed for us to be forgiven and then him to um, put his spirit on our hearts and minds. Now, I've kind of alluded to this, and um, you know, but you know, the world has kind of picked up on a lot of those things and has continued to do those things, not recognizing that the age changed. And as I pointed out, what we just read in Jeremiah, right, that the new covenant's not like the old one. Well, how is it not? Well, guess what? It's not physical, right? All of these things are in the, in the, in the new covenant. It's all spiritual. The water's spiritual. The sacrifices are spiritual. The circumcision is spiritual. The intercession is spiritual. That's why you're not running to a physical man to be your guru anymore, to tell you what you ought to think about God. We didn't read that. We didn't get there. It was the next verse that Andrew was supposed to read, right? Um, but what we begin to appreciate is that how, why all these things were done, they were happening in an in order, in, a, in, in, in specified according to Yahweh's purpose. And you can see one of the things in here says baptisms, right? So anyway. I'm going to close with this, this because I was just 
kind of blown away by this. And it's just so beautiful when you see it. And it just showed my misunderstanding, right? Because um, when you think about this water, and I want to get um, I want to get the washing of regeneration, if you can find that for me. I think it's in um, Ephesians. I really can't even do this justice right now. So I'm just going to throw this out because I just thought it was pretty. Um, is it not in Ephesians? I think it's Titus 3 and 5. Oh, oh, it is Titus 3 and 5. We were in there. Thank you, Sasha. All right. So um, he's talking about the, the washing of regeneration. Um, right. Let's finish that out in Titus 3 and 5. Um, and I just see the time. We got four minutes left. I'll wrap this up real quick. All right, Titus you can zoom three, out a little five. bit, Greg. Go ahead. Titus 3, 5. Mm -hmm. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, I really don't have time to explain this well. So actually jump over to... Um, the pattern and plan of salvation chart and zoom in on the baptism plate with uh, John. Um, and, and the point I'm really going to just throw out there is I always had in my mind, water baptism, water, water was a, was the baptism. Right. And so I realized I first, first time I ever saw this, that uh, in my mind, I had the washing of regeneration being the baptism or a form of baptism. And I had it all lumped together in my mind. And um, Dr. Kinley was making this point in this transcript about how when John, you can read in the book, and I don't know exactly where it is, but when John was baptism, bap, John went out baptizing, right? And he was baptizing the children of Israel. And the reason he was baptizing them was because all of them had fallen short of the law. They had all sinned. So what do you do? And, and that made them dead men. That made them dead because to be the guilt, the, the penalties of sin or the wages of sin is death. So what do you do with a dead man? You bury him, right? So John was sent out to bury the dead Israelites. And there's a whole lot in there that we don't have time to go into. But the world has made a mistake of trying to go back and baptize when, um, you know, the time for that's already done. And Paul talks about how just reckon yourselves to have been baptized at this point because you can't go back and get baptized now. The baptism um, as it, it, it was for that time then. And so Dr. Kinley's making the point that Yahshua went down to John's baptism um, with his disciples at one point. And you can read in the book that the disciples, yeah, the disciples helped John baptize. Dr. Kinley makes this really very adamant point. Yahshua never baptized anybody. And I had heard him make this point over many, many times in the past, but I never understood the significance of it. And the reason he said that um, Yahshua didn't baptize is because Yahshua's job, John's, John's job was to bury the dead men, and Yahshua's job was to dig them up. Yahshua's job was to resurrect them from the dead. So when Titus was talking about the washing of regeneration, that's not a baptism. And, and Yahshua um, kind of acts that out with the washing of the disciples' feet. And in my mind, I was thinking, well, the washing of the disciples' feet was a form of baptism. 
It wasn't a form of baptism. It had nothing to do with baptism. The washing of the disciples' feet was him making them clean. That has not. That is not the same thing as baptizing, because baptizing is the burying of the dead. And Dr. Kinley made the point that Yahshua didn't come in. Yahshua came came in to dig up the dead. John was burying the dead, and Yahshua came in to dig them up. And that's the reason why Yahshua never baptized anybody. I thought that was a beautiful point. I had never heard that or understood that before. Um, so I hope somebody got something out of what was said, and I will turn it back to the moderator. Thank you, Dr. Brewster. And we'd like to thank everybody that participated in our Zoom class today, and also those viewing us on YouTube. We hold our Zoom class here every Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. And at this time, I'll ask everybody to stay muted until the live stream has completed. Now we'll be dismissed by the doxology. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. Let us all say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.